primary care knowledge boost, consultation skills. Welcome to today's episode of Primary Care Knowledge Boost with Dr. Avril Danshak, all about communication skills for general practice. This is one of the Health Education Northwest episodes that's targeted for GP trainees, but we think is applicable to all of us working in primary care. Yeah, because there's always something we can keep learning about consultation skills. Absolutely. So the episode's a broad overview of how to approach consultation um, that focuses on the structure and the beginnings of a consultation, as well as touching on ways in which we can look at and improve our consultation skills. Yeah, we completed our GP training relatively recently and there was a lot of focus on consultation skills during that, but we were both surprised at how much we got out of this conversation and we'll be back at the end to uh, discuss our learning points. If we kick off then, so we always start with introductions. Um, So would you mind introducing yourself for all our listeners? Sure. My name's Avril Danchak. Uh, I'm a GP and I'm a primary care medical educator, which in the northwest of England means I run study release courses for people who are training to be GPs. And I also do master classes for their trainers in consultation skills. And I generally do a lot of training work around medical education and consultation skills training. Perfect. And so we are talking about communication skills today. And why, why do you think it's important to talk about uh, communication skills and consultation skills today? Well, I think in, in your actually opening line there, you've kind of summed up why it's why it's important. People often talk about communication skills. I actually talk about consultation skills. So I think one of the things that is really key is that we're not simply learning to communicate well. We're learning to communicate in the context of consultation, which has a medical purpose, a professional purpose. And one of the reasons why consultation skills are very important is because effective communication skills within the consultation honed towards the needs of of the medical interview make for more accurate work so they actually improve the quality of the medical care they improve diagnosis they improve your ability to create appropriate management plans and they improve follow-up and safety so I always talk about consultation skills rather than communication skills for that reason a good distinction definitely Um, what do you think would be helpful to cover when we're talking about this topic today Well, as an educator, I always try and think about the audience first. Uh, And as as far as I know, this is a primary care audience and probably predominantly uh, an audience of people who are in training, although I know GPs do listen to this as well. The things that one might need to think about are how to set about improving consultation skills. What do you have to do to do that? What those skills are? And how you can learn them and how you can get better at them, I guess. You know, I could talk for hours about all the different skills, but we're talking about a slightly different thing here, I think. Yeah, you're right. We do have a quite a good varied audience, so it's lovely to think think about that. What do you think is the starting point for learning consultation skills? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I often think people learn better when they've had an experience that's kind of not gone well or that kind of upsets them or hurts them a bit because mm. it creates um as a Eva and Cross Kerry say a good substrate for learning you know I think if you've had something that hasn't gone brilliantly that makes you want to learn better and what I often start with is asking people to reflect on a consultation that they themselves have had could be with the doctor most people have seen a doctor at some point in their lives but it could be with some other professional like a financial advisor or a solicitor or a dentist or something like that Mm -hmm. and ask them to think about how that consultation went 
and what went well and what didn't go well. And it's an amazing thing to discover how many people have had an unsatisfactory consultation themselves. And when they actually start to reflect on what did go well or what didn't go well, they then start to think about, well, what are the skills that make that happen and how can you make that happen more regularly in your own consultations? Yeah. So in terms of um, of thinking about our consultation skills, why is it important to to try and improve them? How can it kind of help our patients medically? I think that's a really important question and it's the crux of why this is so important. And perhaps it's easier to talk about an example. So uh, I saw a young woman one day who actually had looked her symptoms up on Google, as so many people do, and was pretty sure she had thyrotoxicosis. And when she explained to me what she was feeling, she was very shaky. She was losing weight. She wasn't sleeping very well. And she certainly seemed to have, you know, a degree of, of symptoms like that. But looking at her, I wasn't completely convinced that she was thyrotoxic. So I asked her to tell me a bit more about what was happening and when she was noticing these things that were going wrong. And she started also talking about a very stressful work situation. Uh, She was taking a very long commute across the Pennines in winter on the M62, which was very frightening. And she was worried that she would have an accident. Um, She was working very long hours. And the effect of all that was quite a big impact on her personal relationships as well. People were getting crossed with her for not being at events or not turning up for them and so on and so forth. So although I did do her thyroid function test, because I think it's a reasonable thing to do, I also did say to her, I'm doing that as a precaution because I think we might need to look at a bigger picture here and there may be other factors playing a part. And of course, when the thyroid function came came back normal, it was much easier to have a conversation with her about her anxiety. Conversely, I had another young woman who I treated for anxiety for quite a long time and had panic attacks and was shaking and all the rest of it. And then she came in and said, well, I'm shaking and panicky again, but it feels a bit different. She actually had thyrotoxicosis. So it's about listening carefully to exactly what people say can take you much more quickly to the diagnosis and save a lot of time. That makes sense. And what what is your advice about how we can become more effective listeners during the consultation? I think Everybody likes a good listener. And when uh, a patient says to you, thank you for listening, doctor, we all feel great, don't we? We all kind of know when somebody's listened to us. Actually, listening is a really complicated process. And I think we have to learn, we have to regard the consultation as something we have to study in exactly the same way as we study hypertension. You know, and what I think often happens is people think you can pick up your consultation skills um, just with a few tips and hints here and there. Whereas I actually think it's better to look at it systematically, uh, mm. to look at the literature that supports it, to look at what people have done before, because do you know what? There's a lot of research about this and a lot of evidence around about what works and what doesn't work and why it works and why it doesn't work. And if we approach it systematically as a study, uh, starting with thinking about what listening is and then thinking about the different components of the consultation, what happens at the beginning, how do you gather information, how do you build a relationship effectively with the patient, how do you explain things, how do you make sure that the consultation ends well, and also thinking about the different ways you can learn about the structure of the consultation so that it keeps moving and doesn't take all morning and yet feels relaxed and calm to the patient. Now, this all sounds like a big ask, but these are all achievable things. And there's a big literature of stuff to help us do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting way of looking at consultation skills. Uh, It's much more systematic than I've become used to thinking about them. 
it might be worth, I think, Avril, do you mind just talking us through the breakdown of the consultation? There's a lot of different consultation models. Um, can you talk to us about that? Yes, I think people get quite hung up about models of the consultation. I'm a consultation nerd, so I, I love different consultation models. And, you know, I read books about the consultation so that other people don't have to read them. Um, and so I think for me, it's quite a technical interest. But I think in practice, what you just need to know is that a, a model of the consultation is just a bit like a map. And there are lots of different ways of drawing a map of, of, of a place, aren't there? You can draw a detailed map, you can draw a sketch map, you can have an ordnance survey map. They're all just maps and you use different maps for different purposes and you have to find the map that suits you. Now, I think the map, which is probably the most universally helpful when you're learning the consultation skill, is often called the Calgary-Cambridge model. Mm -hmm. And what that just simply means is that there are different components to the consultation which have different skills attached. So there's something about initiating the session and understanding why per somebody's come, and that's called agenda setting. There's a whole section about agenda, uh, about information gathering, which includes gathering information about their biological and medical issues, but also about their psychosocial components, which people often call ICE, but it, it goes beyond just ideas, concerns and expectations, really. Then there's a component which is about building up a relationship with the patient there's a component which is helping the consultation to be more structured. There's a whole chunk which is about explaining and planning and getting a shared management plan. And then there's a whole component about closing the consultation effectively. Now, that's the most detailed plan of the consultation. And I think it's the one that makes it easier to break it down into component parts and learn it. Yeah. But of course, other people use slightly different maps. Um, there's a map that's used for assessment, like the COT, for example, is a slightly different map. And that map looks not at the skills you need, but at whether you've achieved the tasks of the consultation. So it looks at it from a different point of view. Uh, Roger Neighbour uh, uses a, a different kind of map, which is more about the processes, which is about whether you've connected with the patient, whether you've handed over to the patient, whether you've done your housekeeping. It's about the different processes that are involved. And then when your examiners are looking at things in the CSA, they use a slightly different map again. So it depends what function you're trying to do. And I don't think unless you are a nerd like me, you shouldn't really try and learn loads of maps. <laughs> Choose one. I think the Calgary-Cambridge one is probably the most comprehensive and the most evidence-based. Learn how to use that and learn the skills, and then you will map against everybody else's maps perfectly well. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk us through your approach to the start of a consultation? Yeah, I, I think one of the most important things is the beginning of the consultation. And there's a big health maintenance organisation in America called Kaiser Permanente. And when they, they train all their staff in consultation skills because they say it reduces their litigation bill, because it reduces errors. And their big thing is they call it investing in the beginning. They say you have to get the beginning of the consultation right, because if you don't set off on a good foot, it, it's very hard to retrieve it afterwards. And I'll certainly agree with that. Hmm. So the first things are to, to think about how you build rapport with somebody and how you show them you're listening right at the very beginning, because that's really important. Um, and there's a nice little quote which I like, which says rapport is like money. It increases in importance when you don't have any. And when you do have it, when you do have rapport, a lot of opportunities appear. And I think that's so true because once you've made a good contact with somebody, all kinds of possibilities in the conversation um, occur. 
And that means you can go on to do some good listening. And I'm going to talk about rapport first and then talk about what listening really is. So the, the first thing is when we make a rapport with people, uh, we have to look at them. We have to do a proper smile, a smile that includes your eyes, make eye contact, say hello, uh, introduce yourself appropriately. And the thing which I found incredibly helpful is I silently project a message of kindness and goodwill to the other person. You don't have to say, I'm sending you a message of kindness and goodwill. But if you look at somebody who comes in your room and smile at them and think, I feel okay about you and I, I want wish you well, they can tell that straight away. And then they relax and sit down. And then when you start talking to them, it's much easier to listen to them. I don't know if that makes sense as a kind of formal skill. Yeah. That sounds like on the face of it easy, but actually on, on your average day could, could be pretty difficult. <laughs> One of the crucial things about these skills is that when you first do them, they feel a bit clunky sometimes or that you think they're just easy. But a professional does that every single time with every single patient, whether you feel like it or not whether the last patient's been horrible to you, whether you need a coffee, uh, whether it's the 50th person yeah. of the day, you look at them and you smile and you say hello and you send them a message of silent goodwill and you, you do it every single time. And that's what makes you effective. And it's hard to practice. You have to practice doing that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But I can imagine that it would completely change the consultation. So yeah, so moving on, what, what's, what's next? Well, I think you mentioned about listening, didn't you? So I don't know if you'd like me to say a little bit more about what listening is. Yeah, definitely. And when we think about listening, we often think it just means about hearing what somebody's said. And you do have to hear what they said. If you haven't heard what they said, you're really not going to get very far. But once they've said it, you have to understand it as well and make sure that you understand what they're trying to say. In the context of the consultation, you also have to remember it. Very often when you're watching inexperienced consultors, the patient will say something like, this all started since I moved in with my mother, which I had to do because my uh, business went bust. And then a few minutes later, somebody will say, who do you live with at home and why are you living there? And what do you do for a living? And you think, well, that patient's already told you that. And if you can remember that and slot it into your mind, it's really important. But of course, once you've remembered and understood what somebody said, you've also got to interpret it. What does it mean? And what does it mean for this individual person? Then you have to evaluate it in the context of the whole thing they're talking about. So if somebody comes along to you and says, oh, I'm living with my mother because my business went bust, but I want you to look at my painful knee, that might mean one thing. But if they come and say, but I'm not sleeping, then the fact their business went bust and they've had to move in with their mother might be a really, really important bit of information that's going to help you evaluate where they're up to in their life, whether yeah. they're depressed and so on and so forth. And it may help you to understand how safe they are from a suicidal risk point of view. For example, if they're living with somebody, there's a different risk than if they're living on their own. So this is what I'm saying about the enrichment of listening. And it's only when you've done all that can you decide how to respond. And all too often, everybody's so busy trying to decide what question to ask next or how to respond to the patient. They're not really listening, hearing, understanding, remembering, interpreting and evaluating before they open their own mouth. It's a lot of things to think about, really. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things about humans is that we're really good at this because we've been practicing this all our lives. And it, humans, what makes us human is the fact we communicate with each other at these levels in so many ways all the time. And when we're trying to do that in the context of the consultation, what we have to do is up that to a different level. 
And there are all kinds of ways of learning how to do this and exercises and skills and things you can practice. And as you get to know those things, you get better and better at them. And then they become second nature, just as they are, you know, when you're talking to your friends, they're second nature, you just do them. Uh, I guess that leads on to an interesting point about how you learn consultation skills. How can you improve them? And and what can we do, trainees or fully-fledged GPs? How can we get better at this? One thing that's really important, uh, it certainly helped me, is to think of the consultation as as two things. There's what you're trying to achieve, which is understanding the patient and making some kind of uh, relevant medical assessment. And then the other thing is, how are you going to do that? And the how means what skills do you need? And if you think about the skills in the consultation, it's no good trying to improve all of them all at once all the time. Mm -hmm. It's better to break it down into some particular aspect of the consultation and to work on that skill until you've had a few goes at it, till you know how to do it, until it seems to be working well and you're sure you can do it every time, and then build on the next skill. So focused, definitely. In terms of GP trainees or um, people learning, I mean, the starting points are definitely rapport and listening and kind of thinking of listening in terms of those different elements of it. So it's not as simple as we might initially think and thinking before we respond is so important and how do we then sort of go on to looking at each different part and kind of focusing and honing that in okay well I think there's two aspects to this as well Uh, I'm a great believer in starting at the beginning Um, if you get a good beginning to the consultation that goes really well and so start off by thinking about the components of the beginning of the consultation which is forming a rapport and what's often called agenda setting that's to work out why that person has actually come to see you or what they want to talk about now the thing about practicing the skills is everybody thinks and I'm sure if I say practice makes you're all going to mentally say practice makes perfect But actually, that's not true. Practice makes permanent. Hmm. The things you do over and over again are the things that stick. If you want to get better at it, you have to have somebody to look at what you're doing and give you some feedback. Now, that could be yourself. You can give yourself feedback and say, well, that didn't go well. Uh, Or actually, I didn't introduce myself to that patient. Or actually, I was feeling so fed up, I didn't even smile at that patient. But you get better feedback often from an objective observer. So feedback makes perfect and practice makes permanent. So it's good to take one section. So let's, if we think about the beginning of the consultation, you can think about those components of rapport building, looking at the patient, smiling, sending a message of goodwill. And then you can think about, well, how do you find out why they come to see you? Now, I I would get people to brainstorm and think, how many ways can you open a consultation? And there's probably about 30 different things you can ask. You can say, how can I help you? What brings you here today? Why have you come to see me? You could go on and on and on. Um, And if you have a a look in one of the uh, good consultation skills textbooks, you'll find there's a lot of discussion about what is an effective way to open the consultation. And there are two things that are very important. One is to leave it very open. So rather than saying, how can I help you, which implies that you're going to help that person, they might not have come to you for help. They might have come to you for something else. They might have come to tell you off. They might want to help you. You don't know. It's to say something like, what would you like to talk about today? Yeah. Because that leaves it completely open. It's it's an easy question to ask. I often don't ask any questions at all. I just say, go on. 
and just look look like I'm interested. Well, I am interested because I think every patient is really fascinating. Actually, you never know what people are going to say to you. But it's worth thinking about the different ways that you might start that consultation off. And then there's a lot of evidence around shutting up and listening to what people say there. And this comes back to this thing about listening and remembering. A lot of trainees talk about the golden minute. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that term because it makes it sound like after that minute it's a free fall and it's not it's not golden anymore. <laughs> but I think it does speak to an interesting idea, which is that if that an awful lot happens in that first minute and if you really pay attention, you'll get a lot out of it. And that is true because very often in that first minute, people will tell you why they've come to see you, what they're worried about and how they came to be there. And when you've heard that, you might need to clarify some points. You might need to pick up on a few things. You also need to know, though, if that's the only thing they've come to talk to you about. Because the average number of problems that people want to talk to a GP about is probably about four. And some people have 10. It's very unusual for people to come with one thing. That's actually not normal. So it's no good hoping for it. You've got to accept that that's not the normal thing. So it's always really useful then to summarize what somebody said. You know, you've you've told me you want to come and talk to me about the shaking of your hands, especially when you're talking in public. I'd like to go into that in detail before we do that. And this is the killer phrase. Is there anything else you were planning to talk to me about today? If somebody was planning to talk to you about it, they're going to talk to you about it. And if you don't pick that up at the beginning, when you've been through the whole thing that you think you want to talk about, they'll then say, "Okay, now the other thing I wanted to ask you about was and they might. And it's very likely that that was the main thing, because people don't always mention the most important thing first. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I mean about this very fine grained, meticulous analysis of what goes on just in the first minute or so. Mm. There's about 10 or 15 different skills in that. And you can practice them all and get them good. And when they're good, you'll find they've already set the consultation off on a better footing. Yeah. I guess that golden minute and a lot of the kind of rapport things are all based around face-to-face communication and consultation skills. There's so much now that's all on the telephone at the moment. Yes, yeah, and in video. That's absolutely true, but I think the principles are exactly the same. Um, When I was in training, my trainer said, when you're on the telephone, you must smile when you're talking to people because they can tell. And uh, I wasn't sure about that, but I think it's true, actually. So, again, you have to work a bit harder to develop a rapport on the telephone or even on video. Eye contact is a bit weird on video often, but your introduction, your warmth, your smile, your willingness to hear what somebody's got to say – Uh, your willingness to listen. On the phone, people don't always know you're listening in the way that they do face-to-face. So sometimes you do have to get grunt a bit or go, okay, mm, mm, because sometimes people will stop, won't they, and say, are you still there? Are you still there? Can you still hear me? (laughs) Um, So you have to give a few more signals to indicate that you're quietly listening. And then that question of, of, you know, is this thing you've just been telling me about the main thing or is there anything else you were planning to talk to me about today and you'd be surprised even on the telephone people often have other things that they need to talk to you about I wholeheartedly agree with that four things is probably average (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and the thing is to embrace that and enjoy it I think it's really tricky though with managing the consultation like I used to find it very very difficult when even if I did that at the beginning I ask and they'd bring out their list of five or six things I just I would always then struggle to prioritize and then manage the consultation down to 10 minutes I used to overrun so badly mm-hmm. well I don't think overrunning is a bad thing when you're learning actually um, if you learn any other complex psychomotor skill uh, skiing playing a musical instrument 
acting, anything like that, you tend to practice it in small components and you often practice it very slowly. You don't put somebody in a race. You don't, somebody who's learning to drive, you don't put them in a Formula One car and say, get around that quickly as you can. It'll be fine. Uh, you put them in a, a clunky slow car and you take them to a car park or a very quiet bit of the street and say, let's just go along at 10 miles an hour for a bit so we can know what we're doing. And it's the same with consultations. I don't think rushing, particularly at the beginning, is, is a very good thing. And I think in modern consultations, the complexities of long-term conditions are such that probably 15 minutes is a far more realistic uh, length of time for a consultation. And if your consultation skills are good, the amount you can cover in 15 minutes is massive. And if you've one way to learn about this is to go and watch somebody who you know to be a very expert consultant mm. and watch what they're doing and you'll find they're very effective. Okay. So actually, yeah, because we mentioned, so there's the kind of breaking down the consultation and having a look at it from like a scientific point of view. There's getting feedback, Mm. watching an expert. Are there any other ways that um, we can go about trying to get better or learn more about consulting? Yeah, I I think the other thing is to think systematically about all the different areas of the consultation, because we tend to be very focused, for example, on agenda setting and information gathering. Mm -hmm. Because obviously that's what we think of as being the crucial things in helping us to make a medical diagnosis. But if you think about structuring the consultation, the use of summarising at the end of each section of the consultation can be a really good way of helping you to move through the consultation and keep the consultation moving. And that can make consultations shorter while having the same amount of content. Uh, I think the other thing is to think carefully about what you're doing when you're summarising. A lot of times people just repeat what the patient has said, which is very time consuming, rather than synthesising it into like a one-liner. Uh, and I think a summarise, a summarisation for me should have two components. It should be about the facts, but also about the feelings. So it should be something like, you've been having chest pain that gets worse when you walk uphill and that's that's affecting you a lot because you're worried that you're going to have a heart attack like your dad. Now that's got a feeling in it as well as as well as a fact. That's going to make the patient feel like you really are listening. And also it is really important, isn't it? Because family history is a really crucial thing. So medically, that's also a really important fact. So so the other thing is to see the building of the relationship. There's two things happening in every consultation. There's the thinking, like, you know, what's going on? What's this patient got wrong with them? What am I going to do about it? All those cognitive components, if you like. But there's also a relationship between you and the patient, which is about the feelings, the emotions, and the relationship of trust that you're building up. And there are specific skills that will help you to build a more effective relationship with the patient. And these include developing skills in empathy and understanding what people are feeling, uh, skills in picking up clues and cues about what people are wanting to talk about, but perhaps hesitant to mention, picking up things like the tone of voice, the kind of words they're using, literally the language they're using. So if somebody says something like, um, I've been fighting with this cold for a week, that gives you a slightly different feeling about how they are in relation to their illness than somebody says, well, I've had this bit of a cold for a week. Yeah. Different thing. It tells you something different about their position in relation to their illness. And I think that kind of accurate listening is kind of fun. I think it's really interesting to hear people's words and what they choose to say. Yeah. I didn't think about it from that perspective. And two very different perspectives on the same illness. Yeah. 
And you may have to pay more attention to the fighting and struggling aspect of it. You know, what's going on that they're fighting and struggling? It might be nothing to do with the cold at all. That might be something else that's going on for them. So I think just being very systematic about all the different parts of the consultation and making sure that you understand what the skills are that create that element to the consultation and how you can build up those skills bit by bit. So, for example, everybody spends loads of time thinking about the first part of the consultation, the information gathering. But explanation and planning, which is like how you explain what you're thinking and how you plan what you're going to do next, is really difficult. Mm. It's the most difficult part of the consultation. It requires more skills, really, than all the other parts of the consultation put together because you need all your listening skills and a load of other skills. And yet often we kind of forget to do that or we think we'll get to that later after we know how to make the diagnosis. So I think it's something about paying attention to every bit. And, for example, closing the consultation. Uh, Kaiser Permanente, again, are very big on closing the consultation effectively because if you get a good agreement with the patient about where you're up to and what the safety netting is all about, what the follow-up's going to be all about, how you're going to proceed, and you're both on the same page, they're far less likely, first of all, you're far less likely to make a mistake, but secondly, they're far less likely to sue you as well. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask about um, resources and because um, I think whenever we were learning for the CSA, we, I felt a bit bombarded with the amount of books and yeah. online work and things that you could access. Um, what do you think are, are good resources to go to? I think that's a really good question. And actually, I think uh, there's a lot of resources about, and I'm sorry to say, I think an awful lot of them aren't much help. So I think that's one of the difficulties here. And I'm very struck by how common it is on the internet. If you go on YouTube, it's very easy to find somebody who's passed the CSA and probably hasn't even finished their ST3 year, but think they know all about how to tell everybody else to pass it. Well, actually, it's a bit more complicated than that. So I think you have to be really careful with the resources that are on the internet. Mm-hmm. Really careful. I regularly look around for good consultation skills resources on the internet, and I, I can't say I can clear cut recommend any actually at the moment. We are going to develop a bank of resources in the Northwest Deanery, which should be available later on this year or early next year. So when that comes out, there will be reliable resources on the internet for that. I do think there are some really, really good books. Um, This book, Skills for Communicating with Patients by Kurt Silverman and Draper, has got the theory in it, but it's also got lots of lovely examples of little phrases that you can use. And you can take the ones that you like and not use the ones that you don't like. I wouldn't suggest that anybody reads it like a novel. No, I tried that. No, I mean, I I, I can read it like a novel because I'm bonkers. But it's really interesting book, though, Avril. It is like I was really surprised. It is a really interesting book. Um, It often helps though to read it section by section and just read uh, a few pages or or just one chapter or just part of a chapter relevant to the skill you're trying to improve. So I think that's a really helpful one. Another one, if you like very short chapters, is this book called A Field Guide to the Difficult Patient Interview. It's by Platt and Gordon. It's a very small book. Uh, It's about a quarter the size of any other book. And each chapter is about a page and a half or two or three pages long. 
and it tends to cover it's not comprehensive but it does cover different elements of the consultation and also difficult things in the consultation like breaking bad news or um, it's got a lovely section called okay and wow the short words it's got a whole chapter on how you can use those words more effectively and and i can do a whole session on the difference between and and but and if <laughs> and when uh, and actually these are really powerful words very short words and the two most powerful words in the consultation are of course go on um, because you always hear something interesting if you say that to somebody pretty much yeah. anyway so that that book's very good and it, it's broken down into skills with examples then it has a nice section in each chapter saying pitfalls to avoid which Ooh. i think is also quite oh, helpful good. sometimes good yes. to know how not to put your foot in it isn't it so that's a good book and then finally if um people want to really develop their skills to be a healer and not just to be a transactional doctor who says you've got a sore throat here's some penicillin but somebody who wants to go beyond that and really be a a healer and a doctor uh, this book communication skills that heal which is by the wonderfully named barry bubb md he talks about how to communicate with the person as a person. And this one you probably can read a bit more like a novel because it's it's full of stories and we all love stories, don't we? Yeah. And it's also got very succinct practice points about how to do that. And he talks about how people express their sadness, uh, how to listen for suffering, how to listen for shame and trauma and how to heal those things when you're listening to people. And he's got a whole lovely chapter called, but listening is simple. And he talks about what listening is all about. And I, I think that's a really good book as well. Yeah, fabulous. We can put links to all of these as well. Mm, yeah. They're all available in the usual channels. So kind of just to um, stop then, I know it's been a very brief run through of, of consultation skills, but it's been really interesting. What would be your big takeaways that you want our listeners to kind of go away and do next? Uh, make sure you've got a good book. Make sure that it's a book that you enjoy reading. And so read it. Make sure you're getting some feedback. And when you're practicing, practice skills uh, one or two at a time. So particularly when people are practicing for exams and things, don't try and do a whole case. It's too complicated, too difficult, and your friends can't give you feedback on it because they're not practiced in giving feedback. Practice one or two skills because it's much easier to give feedback if you say, well, you know, did I ask somebody whether there was anything else they wanted to talk about today? Did I do that in a nice way? Uh, did I ask somebody what their thoughts were about this problem? How did I do that? How did it go? Did I pick up a clue when they said, well, I haven't really had that many thoughts, but that means they've had a big thought, but they just haven't told you yet. So you've got to be able to pick up that clue and know what to do with it next. And make sure you get feedback from somebody who knows how to feedback. Yeah, amazing. And keep practicing. Have a go. Have a play with it. You know, try new things and see what happens. The other thing is to remember that the new skills you try will feel clunky for the first 20 times you do them. Yeah. You just have to keep trying them. And as you see they're working and when you get a good response from patients, that will reinforce the skill and then eventually it becomes second nature and you can learn a new skill. Well, thanks very much, Apple, for talking to us about this today. It's been so interesting. Thank you. It's uh, been great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. So thanks very much to Avril. It was such an interesting topic. What are your learning points from the talk today, Lisa? 
I think it was just good for me because my brain works in quite a structured way um, to think about breaking down consultation skills in such a structured way, in a scientific way, because it's not just some in the air, oh, consultation skills. It's like you can actually look at the science and break it down and tackle a specific skill. And I think that was quite helpful for me to think about it in that way. Yeah, we'd learned a lot about models and things when we were training in Wigan. And I quite like subjects where I sort of feel a bit more spoon fed. Um, Whereas actually, I think with this one, the sort of point that came across that she was making was really, this is its own topic in its own right, just like any other clinical topic. It can be broken down, like you say, very scientifically, and it needs to be worked at. And a structured approach really helps. And I think that's something that after I've finished the modules and passed the exams, you sort of forget, but yeah. actually it can really hold you back. I think, I think it's probably holding me back slightly from having better consultations by not continuing to prioritize it the way I did yeah. in training. I think that's a very, very important point to make. Yeah. But I did really like, and I think I'll pinch what she said there about, is, is there anything else that you were planning to talk about today? I thought oh, that was yeah. so good. Great for Because like an agenda set, I did, I did work quite a lot on agenda setting, but that's definitely one bit. That, it's um, a nice way to do it, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, really nice free is. Um, so there's lots of different ways that you can get in touch with us and we do love getting um, your feedback about how we're doing with the podcasts. You can uh, hit us up on Twitter. Our handle is at PCKBpodcast. Uh, we've got an email as well you can use, which is primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com. Um, we also have a survey that we'll put the uh, link in the episode description and that's anonymous if you want that avenue to get in touch with us as well. And if you're liking us alongside those things or instead of sharing us in any way you can, telling a friend or sharing on social media. And thank you to those of you that have been talking about the podcast. Um, It's been really nice. Yeah, it's been lovely. Yeah. Till next time. On Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Greater Manchester in 2020. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. Uh, The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.